Energy 101, the thing we can't live without. The Mark and Harry Energy Podcast. You walk into your kitchen and decide to make a cup of tea. You fill up your kettle with water and you plug in that cord into the power socket on the wall. Now, before you flick that switch on, have you ever stood for a moment and thought where that electricity comes from? Have you ever thought about how that electricity is made? Do you feel more comfortable sleeping with the lights on? How many times in your life have you slept with the lights on? Listening to this podcast, you're probably already grown up by now and realize your parents are doing all the hard work paying for your luxury. That is, using your smartphone on your headphones and sleeping with the lights on. But that's okay. Don't blame yourself for the contribution of global warming or all that political scandal. The root cause of the problem is a lot more complex than it seems. With easy access to the internet, anyone can go online and post information, but unfortunately now there's a lot of misinformation about energy. A very warm welcome to this podcast. This is your host, Harry Jing, and on this show, I have a special guest, Mark Green, an energy investor who will be educating us on the basics of energy and the future of energy. Mark, please tell me about yourself and what got you into investing, especially in energy. Well, Harry, first, thank you for having me. It's a pleasure to be here. Um, so, uh, what got me into um, investing in general was just in life that I just wanted to actually be able to provide for my family effectively in that sense. Um, and it was through investing that I, uh, I realized that commodities, minerals, and energy, which is part of the way of life, I got very interested in, in what that was all about. Yeah. Um, particularly from an investing point of view and in the areas that I could invest, such as um, oil gas, coal, and nuclear, uranium, yep. such, yeah. When I got really interested in energy was, and this is what I like to say to a lot of people is really do your own fact-finding. Just don't listen to what you just hear, but actually go and look into it and try to understand how things work, how things are connected. Yep. Um, and there's plenty of information out there that you can get. There's books that you can read just to understand how energy actually works. And what I found is that if we look at human civilization from the dawning of humans as such, we've gone from burning wood to such things as coal and oil and nuclear. And the reason why we've done that is because of energy density. We've moved up the, the ladder, as they like to say, is to go from wood, which was used during the 15th century, 16th century, 17th century, the population didn't grow at that time as well at the mm -hmm. same time. Um, we didn't produce as much as well. Um, and then we realized that we needed to raise our living standards mm -hmm. and to um, be in a better position yeah. was to actually- So humans has been always depending on wood as the you know primary source of fuel, but only recently- Correct, to keeping warm, to cooking meals, to do all the, what you would say the, the first level sort of stuff, yeah? Just the basic needs in life, yeah? Yeah. And so- for population to grow, for us to, to raise our standard of living, they found other energy sources to be able to expand on doing things and making things. And one of them was coal. So pretty much in the early, late 1800s, coal was found. And they moved, particularly in the UK, this was one of the biggest things there, that they actually went through most of their wood. They were running out of wood. And the prices of wood was getting too expensive. So they had to find other energy sources. And what they found is that coal is much more energy dense. So what I mean by that is the energy output multiplied more than what was possible through burning wood, if that makes sense in a very simple terms. Yep. Yeah. 
burns longer. It burns longer and, and produces energy in the sense that thermal energy as such that you could use like in steam is essentially when coal was founded, um, they started developing steam engines, etc. all that sort of stuff to locomotives, yep. um, vehicles, all that sort of stuff to move things along. Yeah. Mm. And so coal was the next level that they used to, even for cooking, for heating and all that sort of stuff. And it was, you, you could use less of that material to produce the same output if you want to put it in that way when you're thinking about wood. And so as we move along, population grow, standards of living started to improve. So it does do energy. Mechanization started happening. You had industrialization started in the late 1800s and 1900s. And then from then they moved on to another source of energy source, which was oil. And that's another level up from coal. And so we were using that for automation, for automobiles. And so, um, so what we've found is- Specifically, that what kind of oil? Oh, crude oil was what they extracted from the ground, but they were able to actually refine that to use it into automobiles to produce gasoline effectively. Mm -hmm. And that's what we do today. So petroleum-based oil. Petroleum and chemicals as well. And that's yes. what we do today, yeah. And so from there, we started to move up the channel. And then in about the 40s and 50s, we found nuclear. And so what we've found is that the density of uranium is much greater than the previous minerals that we've had, mm. yep. And so what I, I suppose I want to come to is that we've moved up this ladder of improving our standards of living, and by the way, our health at the same time and all that sort of things, yep. The way we live, the products that we have, everyone can get an iPhone these days. That's got to come from somewhere. The things we're talking into today are made by energy. Yes. Yeah. And so to produce them things, you need thermal energy, energy to actually to produce these things, yep. And so, Nuclear was, I believe, is well, I believe it's the path that we should be heading down from a decarbonisation level mm. as such because it doesn't produce carbon mm. where fossil fuels do. The problem we have, I believe, that I've seen through the research that I've done is that we are now looking at inverting through the green transition and that's a problem in itself. So let me just give you an example, right? So if I talk about nuclear, if we talk about a pellet of uranium, so enriched uranium, say a gummy bear, it produces the same energy density as say a ton of coal and about 120 to 140 gallons of oil. If we were to take that on a different scope with regards to renewables, now this, this is where I'm coming to renewables, the energy density of renewables is much less, much, much less than it is yeah. um, nuclear, coal, even gas, by the way, gas is even a higher density level than oil and it's obviously it's still polluting like the other fossil fuels but it's less polluting than coal and oil mm. as such so yeah. just kind of summarize from where we are now mm. we started from wood now it's coal now it's oil and now it's gas gas and nuclear as well nuclear is it's at the top of the tree what i see is society has expanded and there's by the way coming back energy abundance there is energy abundance but what we're doing now is we're creating energy not available. That's what we're doing right now with mm. renewables. And the reason why I say that is because of its density. It's much less down the scale. And another thing, another factor that comes into place called capacity factor. And when you, you look at producing energy, such as say a coal utility, they run at a capacity factor of around nearly 50%. For, that's for a coal utility. 
a nuclear utility runs at around 90 to 94% capacity. And what's so capacity factor is the limit they can run at. That's nearly, you know, 100% is you're running 100% and you just continually keep going. Well, we know that that is not for nuclear utilities is not true because they do have a little bit of downtime when they do maintenance and all that sort of stuff, right? But in most cases, 94 is pretty much a high level. Now, wind, for example, maximum capacity is 35%. Solar is around 25, if that. And so when you put them into the equation of a society that is hungry for energy to produce items that we use in, in life to make our well-beings better, to our standards of living, then we're going to have a problem because we won't be able to meet the needs that we want. It does not suffice for that growing population. Correct, correct. And so we have a choice when it comes to that. We either decide to lower our living standards. Mm -hmm. Which no one would at this day and well, age. Well, it's, it's very difficult to see that people mm. will talk and say, you know, we, we need to stop doing this, stop doing that. Mm. But no one does, right? That's my point why I call this podcast the thing that we can't live without. I mean, anyone that tries to, you know, starve themselves from energy, it's like suicide. I mean, we can't live without having a smartphone, at least to communicate with our family and friends. Well, for me, it's there's one other thing too. It's like Maslow's hierarchy of needs, right? Yeah. And at the bottom of that is food and warmth and all them sort of things, the basic needs that you want. And unfortunately, it's no sort of scary you know we're going to be going down out here in australia but you've only got to look at europe at the moment they're heading down that path this winter that's coming up they've got major problems of being able to heat themselves to keep themselves warm and unfortunately there will be people that will die that will freeze to death it's a real problem and just sorry just keep me back on track if i'm getting yeah, off track that's okay but but effectively if you look at germany as an example they decided over 10 years over just over a decade ago that they had this policy of going to renewables and I, and by the way, I just want to have a caveat here that I, I, I'm not against renewables, but the problem in society is they believe this is the, the end, this is the the um, the fix for everything. This is what we need. It's renewables that'll decarbonize everything, and that's it. We just need renewables, right? Mm. Well, we need to realize, based on energy density, on the physics, physics doesn't lie, and the physics, the capacity of the abilities of these energy sources, is. It's not going to meet our needs. It's not going to keep us warm, right? There's going to be problems where it's going to be intermittent and we're not going to have it, mm. right? Because the wind doesn't always blow and the sun doesn't always shine. And we're relying on variable factors where things such as nuclear just keeps going. It doesn't stop. You do not stop the utility. It just keeps going. It keeps mm. running. Yeah. So, what's beyond nu nuclear as far as where human civilization has come through to this day and age? What's beyond nuclear? What's something that is endless? That is something more than nuclear? Um, they're talking about uh, fission, nuclear fission, which is a step up from nuclear. It, it, it's not. It's not okay. So when you think about fusion, that's using uranium. It's a spent fuel that you're you're using. Yeah, where fission is using air, and water, creates energy. Now, there's uh, in China they they're working on it. I think even the UK they're working on that. They've been working on it for decades. The resultant hasn't come out that it can be scalable to a commercial, mm. you know, run a mega city, for example, or run a town or anything like that. Mm. They haven't got to that capacity to be able to the scalability that out of nature effectively. The stage yeah. of scalability, yeah, hasn't scalability been. efficient, yeah. So, but so so really, currently nuclear is 
the best way to go for decarbonization. Yep. There's plenty of uranium in the world. It's um if you put it into comparison to silver and gold, it's it's like uh like hundred times more available and in abundance in the world. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And so it's a matter of people understanding that uh there's a lot of misconception on you know fear of you know oh there's nuclear accident radiation and all that sort of stuff and so people need to do their homework to understand that you know if you statistically if you look at it with nuclear that on a even on a an an output of wattage nuclear is the safest source of energy in line with solar panels hmm. literally on the death rate it is that level yes coal emits a lot of particle particulates into the air and that's where people get lung cancer and all that sort of stuff yep but nuclear there's been hardly any accidents and this is the problem people really need to do not just listen to certain groups that are pushing a certain agenda or narrative they need to actually go and have a look at it but on a per kilowatt level of mm. energy output mm. nuclear is on the same par as solar and there's you can get this information from plenty of credible like department of energy mm. for the us mm. nuclear science uh you can get this from i, I uh, virtual uh, capitalists have plenty of information on that sort of stuff. correction visual capitalist uh, visual capitalist sorry i should yep. say yeah thank you um i think people need to understand that if we want to create a living standard and society that's growing, yep. then this is the only path, unfortunately. Renewables does play a, a part in it, but it's not the solution. Hmm. That's what I think people need to understand. So where is the world going from your <clears throat> predictions, from your views? Um, at the moment, it's obviously we're heading down that renewables um, way um, where you know governments in the Western world are pushing that's the way we're going. And unfortunately, we're going to find out that um, it's going to be a major problem. Now, another area to think about is that we talked about energy density, the capacity factors and all that sort of stuff. If I was to give you a statistic on, say, a one square mile nuclear utility is the equivalence. And so to give you some amount of material that needs to be required to create wind turbines and solar panels, it's around 460 wind turbine, utility scale wind turbines to equivalent of that one nuclear utility. You need to produce 460 of them, you know, they're 120 metres high with 100 metre blades on them, 460 of them, mm. which has a footprint of around 320 times that of that nuclear utility. So you think about more land usage. More land usage. More energy. More materials, rare earths copper steel concrete and by the way steel concrete is made by fossil fuels so you're just compounding the whole issue of decarbonization that's the way i look at it mm -hmm. to give you another um solar panels for example right the equivalence that's the equivalence that one utility nuclear utility one square mile of it is the equivalent of 3.1 million solar panels. Mm -hmm. Just imagine how much land is covering to hold that. It's 75 times. 75 times. 75 yeah. times. Yeah. So the whole entire Simpson Desert, right? <laughs> well, then you've somehow got to get it into a, a grid to bring it to a city. So 
there's all that sort of stuff. And look, I, I'll give you another example. This is some facts that you can take away is China, for example. Yep. Okay, so your major cities in China, where are they? Beijing, Shanghai. And whereabouts are they? Guangdong. They're on the east, yeah? Yes. Okay, so the Chinese decided they've plowed money into the renewables, yep. They've built, I don't know how many wind turbines, but they're in the west. Why? Because that's where they get some of their wind from, yeah? Asia's not one of the best spots for wind. It's just not. And by the way, it's not the best spot for solar either, by mm. the way. It's not the hot. Australia is for, for Australia. solar, for example. Yeah, 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 for example, and for wind in, in some areas, yeah. But so they've, they've put these wind turbines to the west. Now, they realise there's a problem because you've got to connect it to a grid to run it all the way to the east. And to do that, one, the cost factor, but two, the lossless rate of the actual power being transferred across. Yeah. It's not economical to do. So effectively, they have these wind turbines. Anyone can go look this up. They have these wind turbines with they produced. It's like they're empty cities, right? They built these things. They're not connected to any grid. And there's a reason why they're not connected to a grid because it's just not going to work. Mm. Yeah. Um, and so the problem is that you, you, there's so much material that needs to be used into like copper and you know nickel batteries and all that sort of stuff. I can go into that in a minute if you want, talk about backup storage and all that sort of thing. But but effectively, the amount of material that needs to be used, we, we don't produce enough of it. And, it. and it's easy for someone to say to go and mine it, but to mine it takes a decade to start a mine up. It just doesn't take overnight to start a mine to produce copper or nickel or yeah. iron ore or anything mm. like that, right? So. Yeah. So with all these young people around you, like people starting up, they go, oh, the Chernobyl um, incident or oh, the Fukushima incident, you know, it's it's like radiation all over, you know, there's so many accidents. How do you counteract that argument, you know, for young people that have been misinformed about nuclear? I mean, there's a lot of benefits about nuclear that you've covered, but there are like media propaganda scaring people that nuclear is bad. Why, why should we appreciate them putting this, you know, whole nuclear free is a good thing? We'll talk about Chernobyl in a minute, but just just quickly. So France, for over 40 years, at least 70% of their power comes from nuclear. Never had an accident. The US has 96 nuclear reactors, 96. It produces 20% of their power. There's been no issue. They had, I think it was Indian Point, they had a, a bit of an issue, but they had no radiation leakage, right? So they had no issues with that at all and they've been running like this 40 50 years so coming to chernobyl back in the early 80s yeah yes there was deaths there was 200 deaths that were caused by the radiation in total was there things that were done wrong definitely in their procedures yeah but in the scale of everything that you look at whether you talk about coal whether you talk about any other energy source the amount of deaths outstrip nuclear against its benefits that, can, that it can produce, let alone clean energy. Now, there will always be that scary aspect that the fear, as I put it, the fear mongering that, that, that's put out there, but, but effectively we need to put it in perspective that mm. the amount of energy source that it, what it provides. Mm. So we've talked about the benefits of nuclear, but what about the waste that nuclear produces? Can you please elaborate on that, Mark? Yeah, certainly. Um, I think that's sometimes you'll get certain lobbyist group which will push and say the biggest problem is we've got all this waste and it's it's dangerous and you know we don't know what to do with it um first off harry uh the us for over 40 years like i think i said earlier was 96 reactors right 
And so they've got programs in place to actually track everything that's secured for the waste as such. And so if we look at the US, the equivalence of over four decades, four decades of waste is the equivalence of two football fields, yep, with about two meters deep, 40 years, right? And so there's something else I need to add to that now that is already actually happening. They've just got to make it economically scalable is they can reuse that waste and 96% of that waste can be refined and enriched back into being used back in a reactor. 96%, so 4% is waste. And so what's, they're already started to do it, but there's an economics still at the moment which they're working on the technology to improve it. It's cheaper to extract uh, uranium out of the ground and process it and put that into enrichment. And maybe on another podcast, we can talk about how that process actually works. But it's cheaper to do that at the moment than to actually recycle used uranium. But they're actually working on that technology and they reckon the next year or two, they're going to have that down pat that economically, it'd be better just to... reuse, refine, recycle the uh, the uh, uh, U-235, as, as it's called, the enriched uranium, and that's 96% of it. Depleted uranium. Deple- it's depleted, but they can it's – like, it's like having an orange or something and you want to squeeze a little bit more out of it, yeah? Yeah. So they just re-enrich it, and they've, they've said they can get up to 96% of, out of that used spent fuel, which is just great. And as I said to you before – um, it's tracked, it's mm. secured. It's not just dumped in the back of you know, someone's yard or at a garbage tip or anything like that. It's mm. actually, it's tagged and it's logged mm. and it's secured. And usually it's in like a, a iron caskets with copper and everything and then cement around it and they're mm. secured. Now in Finland, they've actually got underground cabins which they're actually built, already designed to actually take the fuel. But as I said, it's, it's very little. Like, I mean, we come back to the start of the podcast, we talk about one gummy bear of, you know, enriched uranium yep. produces so much energy. You don't need much of it, right? And this is the whole thing, the mis- the misconceptions that are out there about this, yeah. So mm. I think, um, you know, if you listen to certain, I'll put this, certain green lobby groups, mm. Greenpeace is one of them, mm. I'll put it out there, they will say anything to say that it's the waste, it's a problem. Well. Mm. Currently, France runs 70% of their power mm. for decades. They've been doing it. They don't have a problem. There's a lot of ways you can interpret a topic. Like there's ways you can interpret as a negative thing and ways you can interpret as a positive thing. What do you advise people that want to learn about energy? What are they looking to first? So my thing is, and I think society's not going down this path, is critical thinking. Critical thought is really important. Look at both sides of the argument, look at what's been written, and then dig. You need to do your research. You have to read, you have to dig and look at the data. It's so important mm. because anyone can spin a narrative and even me just talking to you now, I can spin, but go and, go and do the research. Go and look at credible websites such as the Department of Energy and all those sort of places, yeah. Um, I can give you a, a gentleman called Doomberg, the green chicken. He's quite funny, but he's a, he's a scientist, right? And he comes out with all the data on materials, energy, chemistry, everything. And so I would say to people, just 
really do your research, dig deep. Don't listen to what the radio is just telling you or the TV is just saying or whatever's going on because everyone has an agenda and they're spinning a, a narrative effectively. You know, people have to do their own research, to be honest. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So critical thinking, don't yep. always judge a book by the cover. Yeah. Always, you know, look at both sides of it. Don't always go to the left or too much to the right. Look at both sides. At the end of the day, you make your own decisions. I guess we kind of come to the end of the surface of our energy podcast. I would like to thank Mark for speaking with us. If you have any questions, please do drop a comment and uh, PM us. Um, We'll give you more details um, after this show. Thanks for having me, Harry. Thank you, Mark. Cheers.